Will you take your Bibles and turn to Revelation 18? Revelation 18th chapter. Let's bow before the Lord. My dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, today we'll consider when God remembers, He repays. When God remembers, He repays. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace to us this morning to allow us to be together as we get to look at truths of Christ this morning. We pray that you will give us light through that and that you will give us knowledge of what you require of us given what we've learned about you and your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we just pray for your help this morning as we go through another text that perhaps is unfamiliar a text that is maybe difficult to say, but a text that we can benefit from. Help us to apply ourselves now in Jesus' name. Amen. Once there was a man who saw something he wanted, but it wasn't right for him to have it. But he wanted it anyway, and he figured out a way that he could get it. And then he put his plan into motion. And he got what he wanted. But then he realized that he'd have to do something else wrong to keep what he had. And secretly, he chose to do it. And it seemed that for a while, no one knew what he had done. But of course, that wasn't true. 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven says, The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You see, the Lord knew what David had done. And through the prophet Nathan, David came to realize that God knew all about what he had done. Another story is told of a man who was going on a journey, and he entrusted his property to his servants. Now, some of the servants invested the master's money, but one servant did nothing. And when his master returned, he rewarded those who had invested the money and gained a return. But the servant who had done nothing, the master punished him because of his neglect. Now, those two stories illustrate how people think wrongly about sin. First, people don't realize that God knows all about sin. God knows everything about every single person, all our thoughts, all our words, all our actions. Nothing goes without His notice. Secondly, people don't realize that God will repay them for their sin. That is to say, no sin goes unpunished. And in this book of Revelation, we find these two truths about God presented in this book. Each letter to each of the seven churches of Asia Minor begins this way, Christ saying to them, I know your works. You see, nothing good, nothing bad can be hidden from God. Also, Christ informs the churches that he will act on what he knows. Revelation 2, verse 23, Christ says, All the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart and will give to each of you according to your works. The two things about God we learn is that God knows God repays. 
In the main portion of this book of Revelation, we have seen that Christ is bringing judgment upon the earth, upon the earth dwellers who refuse to bow their knee to Jesus Christ. Yet we might wonder, what is Christ going to do about all the powers of evil? What about the dragon, the beast, the false prophet? What about Babylon? Are they going to be judged? Well, indeed they are. You turn back a page to Revelation 16, 19. We read these words at the close of the chapter. It says, God remembered Babylon the great to make her drain the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. You see, God will judge Babylon. He will. As we got to the beginning of chapter 17, the angel said to John, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot Babylon. That's what these chapters are about. So in chapter 17, we've learned We've seen that Christ is just, and he is able to judge her. Now we turn to chapter 18. And we see how God's people should respond to her judgment. In two places in this chapter of Babylon's judgment, there are commands given to God's people. And these are the the points that I'm going to wrap my mind around and wrap the outline of this passage around. You see the first command in verse 4. It says, Then another voice from heaven said, or I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. There's the first command. The second is in verse 20, where it says this, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets. So today I want to consider with you the first portion of the chapter through verse 8. So point one of a two-sermon message, I guess. Point one is, come out of Babylon, my people. I get that from verse 4. You say, why should we come out of Babylon? Well, because Babylon will be judged. And when Babylon is judged, Babylon will fall. Look at verse 1. After this, I saw another angel... This is a different one from one of the seven angels who had the bulls. I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen! Fallen is Babylon the great! In chapter 17, we learned how Babylon fell that it would come at the hands of ten end-time kings, and the beast would turn on Babylon, and they would burn her with fire. And yet, that happened because of those people, but God takes responsibility for her judgment, chapter 18, verse 8. God says it was He who judged her, and He can take responsibility for it because back in chapter 17, verse 17, it was God who put it in the hearts of those ten kings to carry out his purpose. So we should never miss this point as we go through these judgment passages in the book of Revelation. God is the one who's responsible for the judgment of Babylon. His judgment is foretold by the prophet Isaiah, where it says in your margin, Isaiah 21.9, Fallen, fallen is Babylon. And Isaiah goes on to say, And all the carved images of her gods he has shattered to the ground. I've mentioned this before, but I'll repeat it again. When Babylon is portrayed as a harlot, 
it is likely pointing to her enticement to idolatry. She encourages people to worship other gods instead of being faithful to the one true and living God. When you think of Babylon, that's what you should think of her doing. She's pushing folks towards idolatry. And as you see in Isaiah, part of her judgment is the shattering of her gods. And that's why many people consider Babylon to be a symbol for false religion. We have to realize that false religion is not going to escape God's judgment. And we see that Babylon the Great is going to be cast down. Verse 2, it says, fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. You see, for a long time, Babylon has enjoyed a lofty position of greatness. But God will bring her low, as He will do to all who are proud. And we get a picture of what this will be like in verse 21. Chapter 18, verse 21, it says, So Babylon, the great city, will be thrown down with violence. that, That gives us a picture of what God thinks about false religions. There are religions that some think are of various pathways to one God. The problem is, is that those systems, those religions, direct people away from God. And many people believe in false religions like Islam or Buddhism or Hinduism or cults like Mormonism. And what those religions do is deceive people. You say, what do you mean? Well, we've seen this recently in American history. Someone believes that if he gives his life as a suicide bomber, Allah will give him paradise when he wakes up in glory. He thinks that's what he's been told. It's wicked. And we know from a text like this that God is not going to endure these false religions forever. From this high and lofty place, Babylon is going to be cast down. Secondly, we see at the end of verse 2 that Babylon the Great will be deserted. It says, She'll become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. Now, while I said that Babylon will be deserted, I realize the text does say she'll become a dwelling place, which means she's not deserted, right? But truly, she will be deserted because she's not going to be inhabited by people. It's going to be abandoned, so all the unwelcome things are going to come there. And and what this description shows us is how utterly Babylon is going to fall. There's going to be no one left there. No one's going to be picking up the pieces. This, which was once a great city, which of course was corrupt, it will be filled with what is corrupt and with what is unclean. And the passage explains why. Verse 3, Babylon the Great is going to be dealt with. Verse 3 says, For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of uh, of her luxurious living. Now, we've already seen in chapter 17, but we see here again, her immoral influence upon the nations and the kings of the earth. That's the power of idols upon people. When someone 
holds out the promise of pleasure and satisfaction apart from God, people are being pointed towards idols. And people worship those idols. And when they do, they are unfaithful to God. But not only do we see her immoral influence, we also see her luxurious living. And this is a new component. This is something unique to this chapter, actually. At first, we just thought she's immoral and abominable, but now we see she lives in luxury. She's rich. Look at verse 7, verse 9, verse 19. It says, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. Verse 9, the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her. Verse 19, the great city where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. Now, many interpreters have taken these references to mean that this is economic Babylon. Babylon is a picture of riches. And this has caused people to think of Babylon as American with its cutthroat capitalism. This is cap put down. But that can't be true according to the text. It can't be only capitalism that is in view here. Because the text says that all nations are influenced by her, and all nations are not capitalistic. So this is not a sentence on a particular system of economics, but it is a condemnation of a particular view of money. Say, what's that? Well, look with me at verse 7, because she explains her, her theology, her doctrine. She lives in luxury, verse 7, and says, Mourning I shall never see. That's her doctrine about money. Money brings satisfaction and security. That's what she teaches. And people all around the globe believe that. Everything can be solved with Visa. That's what people think. Babylon is going to fall, and God is going to accomplish that. You say, well, okay, so Babylon's going to fall. Why does that matter to me? Why would it matter to the saints in Asia Minor so many years ago, back in the 90s? Well, thankfully, we're not left to guess. Look at verse 4. Chapter 18, verse 4 says, Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Now, young people, Back in the time of the patriarch Abraham, a similar situation occurred. You probably remember this story. Let's go over it together. There was a man named Lot who was Abraham's nephew, and he decided to settle down in a city named Sodom. Sodom was a wicked, wicked city. And God determined that he was going to judge and punish and destroy the city of Sodom. So you remember the story goes that two angels are sent to go get Lot and his family. And they tell him, you need to get out of here. Gather your family and bring them out of the city. Bring them out of Sodom. So Lot goes to his family and says, up, get out of this place, for the Lord is about to destroy the city, Genesis 19, verse 14. And you remember, sadly, that some of his relatives didn't believe him. They thought he was joking. 
But eventually Lot, his wife, and two daughters left the city before God rained down fire and brimstone on it. Chapter 19, verse 24. So we've seen stories, true stories, of when people had to get out of town to escape the judgment of God. Even so, God is determined to judge Babylon. And what He's doing here is graciously warning His people to separate from Babylon, verses 4 through 8. God's people need to separate from Babylon. Now, while it could be the case that this is a call for end-time saints to physically remove themselves from the great city of Babylon, it is probably more likely that Babylon, in this reference, is referring to a system that is opposed to God. It's referring to vanity fair that tempts people to indulge. It's a reference to variant faith that tempts people to be unfaithful to God. And God's instructions through this angel is to separate from that. That's what they need to do. Once again, this is not a matter of merely location. Young people, remember that story, Sleeping Beauty, that I botched last time when I messed up the story? I'll try to do it again here the right way. Remember how the king was trying to keep his daughter safe from pricking her finger on the spinning wheel? She tried to keep her daughter safe by sending her in the woods to grow up with the three good fairies. You remember that? His thought was, if she's in the right location, she'll be safe. When it comes to Babylon, this is not about location. Remember what Jesus said in his high priestly prayer. He did not ask God to remove people from the world, but instead he prayed that they would be kept from the evil one. So when we think about this coming out of Babylon, we should not merely consider this a matter of location because Christ has churches in Sin City. Christ had a church in Pergamum, which is where Satan dwelt. The issue is not one of location so much. It is an issue of affection, our affection. It's an issue of toleration, of our toleration, because a Christian must not entertain what is abominable to God. The issue we find in this book of Revelation is that the churches of Asia Minor did entertain sin and did tolerate sinners. You remember that Christ was against the church in Thyatira who had tolerated the woman Jezebel, chapter 2, verse 20. So the point is this. Being a part of a Christian church is not going to spare you from sharing in the judgment of Babylon. This gathering, this group isn't going to save you from that. The call is to separate from Babylon. And this is one of the unique things that actually distinguishes historic fundamentalism from new evangelicalism. Historic fundamentalism and new evangelicalism have a different approach to culture. Evangelicals typically believe that you should engage culture culture, and seek to redeem culture. They've been trying to do that for decades. And their leaders of old now have confessed in their writings that actually the culture has changed the church more than the church ended up changing the culture. Instead of trying to get in it and change it, the call is to separate from sin. 
and not to tolerate it at all. And there's a really good reason that the church of Christ must separate from sin, must come out of Babylon. And there's two reasons at the end of this text. The first is in verses 4 and 5. And it's that God remembers those who sin. Look at verse 5, the last part of the verse. God has remembered her iniquities. Young people, does that sound strange, that God remembers something? Just as you think about that, it is not trying to say that God forgets something, and then sometime later, He remembers what He's forgotten. God knows all things at all times, yet when it says He remembers, it means that He brings something that He knows to mind in order to act accordingly. That's what it means. You know, some of us have a hard time remembering things. And we try to determine that if we remember it, we better do it right now or it's not going to be done. God does not have that problem. He knows everything. And when it suits His purpose and His plan, He remembers it and acts upon what He knows. And He knows about the sin of Babylon. Look at verse 5. Her sins have heaped high as heaven. Her sins are like the tower of Babel, which reached high into the sky. And God doesn't want His people to participate in her sins and therefore in her judgment. Verse 4 says, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part, lest you fellowship, lest you participate in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. That's her judgment. So God's people have to heed God's call to separate from Babylon because God remembers those who sin. And also God repays those who sin, verses 6 through 8. Verse 6 says, pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. That's the word for works, for her works. Mix a double portion for her in a cup she mixed as she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. You see, so, you see the spirit of Babylon there? Babylon says, I have money. I have wealth. I'll be good. Nothing can touch me. I'll never have a problem because of what I have. Because people trust in money. And again and again in this judgment, we see that what she does corresponds to the judgment she'll receive. The luxury that she enjoyed is going to be replaced with torment and mourning. And her wickedness is going to meet a devastating end. Verse 8, for this reason her plague will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. So, brothers and sisters, the plain teaching here is that Christ will judge Babylon. And as a result, Babylon's going to fall. God knows her works, and God will repay her according to her works. And those themes of judgment of Babylon are actually also present, as I said at the beginning of the message this morning, they're present in the letters to the churches We just saw that God knows the works of Babylon. 
But every single letter to the churches begins, I know your works. God knows the true state of the churches. He knows their sin. And He has promised, chapter 2, verse 23, I will give to each of you, church, according to your works. Young people, it is so easy for us to think that we can sin and no one sees it and no one knows about it. The truth is that God knows about it. And we may think that I can sin and nothing's being done about it. God isn't striking me dead, so it doesn't really matter to Him. He's not going to do anything about it. That's wrong, too. He will repay when someone sins. God knows, He remembers, and when He remembers, He repays. And this is plainly taught to us in the book of Revelation. And it's something we have to take to heart. Just because we're in a church doesn't mean that we're exempt from God's judgment. I encourage you with this point. While it is true that every one of us is a sinner, while it is true that God cannot overlook sin, the good news is that Christ says that we have the promise in Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four. God says, I will forgive their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. You know, the good news is that God remembered your sin and my sin on His Son and poured out His wrath on His Son. And that's our hope. And given He has done that, we need not to continue in the sins for which He died. Like the churches were called to do, we ought to repent of any sin and know that our only hope can be found in forgiveness in Christ. And He will freely give. He will freely accept all who come to Him. No one has ever gone to Him and He's rejected them. That's a wonderful thing. Father, we ask that You will help us today. Help us to not be thinking about sin wrongly that you don't see it, that you don't remember it, that you won't do anything about it, you will. Help us to take what we've done seriously and take you seriously. Lord, I pray that you'll help each one of us to separate ourselves from what you hate. Help us to hate what is evil and love what is good. We pray that you would work that in our hearts for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.